Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse. What's up? What's up, Wayne, and what's up, people? Yeah, glad you guys can join us. It's been a couple of weeks, so hopefully the anticipation has been building. If you're new to the podcast, what we do is we take movies that are at least 20 years old and we recast them today with modern-day actors and actresses. Today is going to be Heat, which was a request by John Vincent. We'll get into that. Let's make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at Recasted Podcast, on Instagram at Recasted Podcast 8, and on Facebook at Recasted Podcast. And join all things movies. It is a Facebook group, free to join, and feel free to post your podcast or your video show. We enjoy helping other shows promote themselves as well. Yeah, definitely. And Wayne, you had touched on it, it'd been a couple weeks. And, you know, the reason for that is we dropped a mega Back to the Future episode with our friends Field of Screens. And, you know, that was such a fun episode. It was such a huge episode that we wanted to kind of give our fans some time to really soak that in and give them a chance to vote. So I know you have that note to bring up when you're ready, but I just wanted to let fans know why there was a little bit of a break from us. And uh, hopefully they were able to take in all of that awesome episode. Yeah, for sure. I've listened to the episode a couple of times now. It's a very fun episode, and obviously I love having those guys come on. They were really fun. We had a lot of laughs, so hopefully you guys can check that out as well. Which, Speaking of which, make sure you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. My personal favorite, and I'm going to promote this going forward, is Good Pods. So Good Pods, what makes them unique is not only can you download the episode or stream the episode, like if you know you're going to be going through some dead areas, but you can also rate five stars on every individual episode, not just the show itself. So if there's an episode you don't like, you can give it two stars. And then if there's one you like, you give it five stars. And you can actually rank every episode of every show that you listen to. Yeah, when one thing you didn't mention that I also think is awesome about Good Pods is they give you the opportunity to leave comments on each episode so you can actually communicate with fans that have listened to that episode as well. And it's a fun little community on Good Pods. So I also have been listening to different episodes of our friends on there, and I think it's a really good time. So Good Pods is definitely something that I will also take time to promote with you. And the rankings do vary from day to day as people listen, as people submit ranks. And what I found is that we were at one point the number one TV and film podcast. We're down to 44. I knew that was going to happen as soon as you know more people start rolling in with their votes and whatnot. We are number three on after shows. We held at number one for about a week and a half. So we just got to get more people out there ranking us, giving us five stars so we can get back up to number one. Oh, everybody, I think I'm competitive, but let me tell you, my friend Wayne is more competitive than anybody I know, and he saw an opportunity to get number one or, you know, in the top three in several different categories, and let me tell you, he's going to claw and scrape until we are number one in all those, so be ready for some awesome episodes from here on out. I know we feel like we've dropped some great ones before, but he's ready to bring you the best of the best. I also saw that I get emails, and on iTunes, we charted in both Australia and England. So not U.S. yet, but we're getting there. Well, I mean, that definitely makes sense, you know, due to our ongoing friendship with our friends at Field of Screens over there across the pond. And also, I brought up listening to a very awesome show, The Ladies' Guide to Dude Cinema, and they are stationed there in Australia. So I wouldn't be shocked if some of uh, some of their friends and listeners maybe gave us a listen or if the actual host gave us a listen. So starting to really uh, get a footprint across the entire globe, Wayne, and I think that's really awesome. And you had touched on it that our most recent episode was Back to the Future Per my last check, it is now our most listened to episode. I didn't know if it was going to, but it did surpass Real Genius that we did with the What If podcast. But 65 or 67 downloads so far, and so it had surpassed our previous best. So that is now our most listened to episode. Great, Scott. We do have votes in on that, too. So obviously we got to 
tally up these votes. And what I have is 44 total votes is what I counted between Facebook and Twitter. Please make sure you guys are voting on these casts. We do put it out there. You can listen to the episode and vote. You can look at the picture that I put up there and vote. Whatever works best for you. We do appreciate the votes. We had 44 this week. And basically, James is the winner. James got 20 votes, which I figured would happen with the Tom Holland casting. It, it, it was going to kind of put him at the far, forefront. Jesse was second place with 12 votes. I had 11. And DKF had zero. Skylar Gardner. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You can take that one to the grave. Uh, you know, thanks for showing up, Dave. So that was a ton of fun to recast. And I do feel bad a little bit that DKF didn't get a single vote. But I think when we saw his pick for marty we said you know it doesn't matter who you pick for everybody else like you're gonna be toast wait his mom voted for me (laughs) all right so i do have some thanks for voting for obviously all of our facebook friends always thank you for voting we don't really have time to go through all of them because there are so many i do like to give shout outs though to the individual podcasts and people on twitter who vote so i'm gonna run through that list real quick like i usually do we have the bad dad's film review kelly madden movies on the way shoot the flick total recast your next favorite movie, Manic Pixie Weirdo Podcast, When Harry Met Movies, Movie Drone Podcast, Mike, Mike, and Oscar, Binge Movies, Walk the Cinema, Best Film Ever, Quantum Recast, That Song from That Movie, Real Glenn Davies, The Real Bad Easy, Uncredited Extras Podcast, Game for a Movie Podcast, The Movie Journey, The FJ Podcast, Collateral Cinema, Beefy Boys Podcast, Cheap Seat Reviews, Match Day Matinee, Film Rage, Stew World Order, Even the Score Podcast, Mashley at the Movies, I Heard You Liked This, a J-Lo Podcast, Cryptid Ramblers Podcast, 20 T.I. Minutes, Sinisera, Petulant Dave, Half-Baked MacGuffin, and My So-Called Pop Culture Life. Lots of votes on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for contributing in the vote. Absolutely. Not only was that a long list, Wayne, and a great job on getting all those out, but hearing new names every week um, that we do this is so uh, rewarding. And it's awesome to know that our fan base is growing and the the Twitter community, um, especially with uh, the movie podcast and you know podcasts of the like, has been so collaborative and cooperative. I, I really want to tip my hat to all, everybody that takes part in sharing podcasts and commenting and just being so friendly out there. It's been great to be a part of it. We do do a special shout out section some of them were named previously, but I do want to give a couple of shout outs. The Best Film Ever podcast is one of my favorites. It's a British based podcast with a Canadian host. They recently did The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I'll ask you, Jesse, this is the question that was posed to me Is The Nightmare Before Christmas a Christmas movie? Yes. I agree. It is. It's a Christmas movie. You know, you, not only do you see the Christmas hat, which, I mean, let's be honest, that's really the only reason that, you know, some people want to make Die Hard a Christmas movie is because you see, you know, John wear the Christmas hat. But, you know, you see Santa. It, it is something that Jack strives to be a part of is Christmas. So I think it's it's one of those rare, rare movies that can, you know, play between both holidays. The word nightmare in it, you know, can lean towards Halloween. And, you know, you've got the name Christmas right in the movie. And there's so many driving forces, like you mentioned about, you know, Die Hard. It has to be a driving point of the plot. And I think <laughs> in here it certainly is. So I'll give you, you know, some time to you know defend why you think it was. For sure. And basically because the entire plot of the movie revolves around the holiday of Christmas. I mean, I think it gets confused because they're in Halloween town. But it doesn't matter because the movie starts at the end of Halloween. It's over now. And the whole movie is prepping for Christmas, delivering Christmas presents, Santa saving the day. It's 100% a Christmas movie. Absolutely. I don't remember anybody going from door to door and collecting candy, but I do remember someone going into chimneys and delivering Christmas presents. 
Another one of our favorites is the Shoot the Flick podcast. We recommend everybody check them out on Good Pods and give them five stars on every episode. That's Scott and Frankie, newlywed couple. And the most recent one I listened to with them was The Green Mile, which was fantastic because I love that movie. And even hearing them recap it got me a little choked up. Absolutely. It brings up one of the most hated people that I remember in, in TV or film, and that's Percy. And, you know, it got a conversation going between Scott and I about, you know, who's on that rush more of TV or film, people that, you know, are just assholes, people that you really find despicable. And, and he's definitely on that Mount Rushmore for me. Game of Thrones has two of them, I think. Yeah, I mean, I found one spot for Joffrey. And then, you know, I put Dolores Umbridge up there. And honestly, can't remember who I had in that fourth spot. But, uh, you know, he Scott definitely commented and said, you know, that that's a great one as far as, you know, my, my Mount Rushmore. But Percy, what a douche. And uh, Tom Hanks, great performance, one of my most favorite. And just an, an overall great movie. I, I think that one is a more personal favorite to me um, over the Forrest Gump, to be honest. The podcast, When Harry Met Movies, we've touched on it. It's a gentleman and Harry is his son, Harry and them. They talk about movies they've seen for the first time together. The most recent one I listened to there was Back to the Future. And uh, always fun to listen to. I actually really enjoyed listening to their Masters of the Universe one because I remember when that movie came out and being such a big fan of He-Man and being really disappointed by the film. Yeah, and uh, they're actually, uh, don't they have somebody redoing He-Man pretty soon here? I thought I saw maybe it was Rob Zombie or somebody else was actually going to be helming uh, a new He-Man. So that'll be cool to see how that turns out in the new age. But yeah, When Harry Met Movies has always been very friendly and, you know, helpful for us um, with sharing our episodes and commenting and voting. So love that show and love what they uh, consistently do and the perspective they give. So hope our fans continue to enjoy them. Another big shout-out. I don't think they need a shout-out, but we give it to them anyways, and that's Field of Screens. These guys are our best podcast friends. They did the last episode with us. Always enjoy listening to their episodes and can't wait for the next one. I know I gave them the recommendation of Above the Rim, so can't wait till they get to that one. Absolutely. That's a movie that I watched, I think, last year, and uh, love that movie. Uh, love those guys and everything they provide. Their banter is always fun, and I think that's why um, when we had them on, it was one of uh, our most fun episodes, and as you said, statistically, our most listened to episodes. So love what those guys do consistently. The Movie Wars podcast is one we both like. The last episode I listened to was Seven versus Silence of the Lambs. I didn't see if they had a new one come out yet. I know that they've been dealing with some health stuff, so hopefully they're doing all right. But obviously looking forward to the next showdown that they have between two movies. I've not seen a new one yet, but, you know, they're taking their time through the holiday season, which absolutely makes sense. And whenever they provide us an episode, it's a banger. They always bring us two of the best movies that have a lot of similarities. And, you know, you, this is a, a podcast you had brought to me, and I've really become a huge fan since. And, you know, they really go, um, they make those two movies go head to head in a lot of categories. And how in-depth and detailed they get is really awesome to listen to. And I've become a huge fan of theirs. Man Hour Podcast. Jesse's familiar with this one back in our Infinity Sports Day. Man Hour Podcast is a sports podcast, and the reason I'm giving them a shout-out here is because I do appear weekly on the podcast on Thursdays. I do a section called That's Debatable, where I bring up three sports debatable topics as well as a movie debatable topic and kind of promote our show on their show. So I thought it'd be nice to promote their show on our show. They are a sports podcast, so if you're into sports, check out Man Hour, particularly on Thursdays when I'm on there. Definitely, yeah. At least that show has one good day you can listen to. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you had this plan, but I, I'd love to give time to our friends over at Quantum Recast. You know, they recently released their second 
of three episodes that tie up the Lord of the Rings. They take it from the uh, 2000s, uh, the early 2000s, and they bring that back to 84, 85, and 86. And I've listened to both the two episodes that they've done so far, the, the first two installments, and been such a huge fan of it. I've uh, been commenting back and forth on Twitter. Um, they are super interactive as well. So love those guys at Quantum. Do love the guys at Quantum Recast. I, I did that at them as my last note, my last special shout out. And I did want to bring up, obviously, what they do is they recast movies in different eras. Unlike us doing it just in 2021, they bounce it around the universe. The reason I saved it for last is because I feel like I mentioned this to you. I got a little bit upset when they recasted The Fellowship. And I had mentioned to them and I mentioned to you that I would have recasted Dudley Moore as the role of Bilbo. That would have seemed like the, the best fit. And when I reached out to them and they were like, I don't know who that is, like immediately I got like the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I was like, he's one of the top 10 biggest stars of the entire 1980s in movies. So you brought a movie back to the 80s and you don't know one of the top 10 biggest stars. Like I was just really angry about it. Oh man, well I, I hope you sent them more messages, Wayne. You know, <laughs> watch out guys, Wayne has an opinion. Um you know, I, I loved both episodes that they provided us so far. You know, I know that you and I both sent them cast. You know, we we've become very interactive with their show, trying to have fun with it. And uh, you know, they did pick of uh some of the uh, people that I picked, uh some people that you had brought up, so very fun. I do think that, you know, while it is their show, they did break one of their own rules as far as um, not worrying about the actor or actress's resume at the time. They're not going to fool around with their catalog. So um, when I originally sent them fellowship, I was like, oh, man, I wish I knew that. I'd probably, you know, had Michael J. Fox in this, but I wasn't going to touch Back to the Future. No, yeah, I think that they had a bunch of stars. And that was the other thing, too, is I feel like all three of these guys are younger than me. And so they didn't grow up in the 80s watching movies like I did. And so basically the actors that they know from the 80s are the big, like Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Matthew Broderick, right? And so their entire three-episode cast is going to be nothing but mega A-list stars. Whereas when I was submitting them, particularly for the second film, I was like, hey, here's a bunch of like lower-level stars because you can't have all A-list, even Peter Jackson, when he directed it, said, I don't want to have all A-list stars because it'll take away from the characters. Right. I mean, I definitely think that's harder to do in the 80s. Um, you know, you got to have, you know, Kurt Russell in there. You got to have probably Johnny Depp in there somewhere, Keanu. So it's definitely been a, a really fun listen. Can't wait to hear how uh, they finish it out. I know that, you know, you and I will both be in the DMs hitting them up. I know that Tanner does a good job of bringing up some obscure picks sometimes, but I love how defensive they get about their picks. It shows their passion, and that's why it's become one of my favorite shows. So that's all I have for the special shout-outs. I don't know if you had anything else you want to throw in there before we get into movie news. No, that's really everything that I've been listening to, Wayne. You do an awesome job of touching on all of our friends and uh, making sure that they feel loved. So movie news. I wanted to start things off with The Eternals because it came out. It has not come out to applause. It has not been doing really well at all. It's got a 6.8 on IMDb, 47% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 52% on Metacritic. I'll be honest with you. When I saw the preview initially, and then they did a second preview, which was a little bit more interesting... I still felt like I wasn't completely sold. And I know that you said that Marvel does a really good job of making us care about people that we don't, aren't familiar with. I wasn't sure if you had a chance to get out to the Eternals yet. I've not gone out and seen it. I have listened to a few reviews of it, and I try and jump off when they get into spoilers. But yeah, a lot of the negative reaction that I've seen has been about... Uh, you know, not only the length of the movie, I think Marvel and uh, too many movies these days are trying to make three hour mega films and, you know, just give give us a 90 minute, you know, you know, maybe a little over 
you know, give, give us an awesome film in that time range. Um, and beyond that, I also think the other huge complaint has been they're trying to introduce way too much too fast. Um, you know, there's about nine or ten characters and they want us to feel attached to them. And I think that's been the difficulty that I've heard from a lot of people who are reviewing The Eternals. I'm still going to end up seeing it. Um, you know, I, I think more recently we're seeing Marvel not hit on everything. And, you know, they've set themselves such a high bar with... Ragnarok, Infinity War, Endgame, and some of the Spider-Mans that, you know, some people are, are really kind of seeing everything after that as misses. But I think that, you know, Marvel is still going to pump out some good movies. I'm still anticipating some, but so far this one hasn't lived up to the hype that I think it, it was it was built up to be by the MCU. It has been outscored on all platforms by Thor 2, Iron Man 3, and by Black Widow, which, you know, I know you and I disagree on this one, but Black Widow was outscored by Iron Man 3 as well, because I mentioned I like Iron Man 3, so I'm not going to, I don't know if we need to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm just saying that the Eternals has not been scoring well. Well, I mean, if you're in the same company of, you know, Iron Man, you know, 3 or Thor of the Dark World, then I think that's bad news for you. You don't ever want to be grouped up with those or, you know, the Hulks prior to Mark Ruffalo. You don't want to ever be in that discussion. You want to be ranked in the top 15. But, I mean, we are talking about them having, you know, over 30 properties. I mean, I mentioned they had, they've had they had some misses or, or potential misses, depending on your opinion. But, you know, some of those animated ones, What If was not a hit for me. Um, Loki was really good to me. Um, I enjoyed that, but uh, the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier wasn't something that I enjoyed as much as I thought I was going to. Not as much banter between the two. It seemed super serious. Um, WandaVision I liked, um, but you know, not everything has been a, a hit. Like I think some fans really hope that they can do, but that's also kind of unrealistic. They set, like I said, they set themselves such a high bar with you know Ragnarok, Infinity War, Endgame. And, you know, I know that you and I are both still anticipating some of the projects that they have coming out next year. For sure. And one that we did watch was Shang-Chi, which did get really good reviews on IMDb, uh, 92% in Rotten Tomatoes. I really liked this movie a lot, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Shang-Chi interact with some of the other Avengers. Oh, when I saw this in theaters, and I was dying for you to watch this, so I'm so glad that you finally got the chance to see it, and there are so many things I wanted to touch base on, you know, the fighting styles, we didn't just see one fighting style, we saw so many different ones, that bus scene, Wayne, tell me how you feel about that bus scene. Well, that was definitely the, the main scene in the film, was just watching him fight all those guys, I mean, even all the other scenes were fine, but yeah, that bus scene where he's taking on like eight guys, it reminded me of like a, a Jackie Chan movie. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was reminiscent of a lot of different fighting styles, and I thought that was a lot of awesome, you know, hat tips to people that came before them. I think the scaffolding scene, that's something that I've seen in like a Jet Li film. But then you go to the dance fighting that we saw with Sean's parents. The uh, It almost seemed like romantic, like they were definitely like flirting, but they were they were definitely fighting and, and trying to win one over. And so that was that was beautiful to watch. But all the different fighting styles, all the different cultural nods to middle asia over there it was so awesome to see i really enjoyed this film i remember when i had seen it first i tried to describe it to you as black panther but for for asia and uh i really think it, it did an awesome job of doing that and i agree with you i can't wait to see how he meshes with a lot of the other heroes that we like to see on the big screen i mean we really i don't think have seen the full capacity of those 10 rings I would not be sad if Katie dies in the first five minutes of the next film because I was not a fan of Aquafina at all. I think that was Marvel's attempt to try to get a few laughs in there, but every time she was trying to make us laugh, I just cringe. I was like, ugh. 
Yeah, she, you know, the, the laughs for me came from Trevor and the little faceless beast that he had. I thought that was a way to kind of retcon how bad Iron Man 3 was, was to bring Trevor back and make him uh, the point of humor in this film. And I think he did a better job than Aquafina for sure. She's not a, a fan favorite by a lot, I think. Um, so uh, stay out of my Disney movies, both animated and non-animated. Another Marvel property, obviously, No Way Home. We saw the original trailer after it had leaked. They let it out a day later. They've come out with a more detailed trailer where we get to see Electro, Jamie Foxx. We get to see the Goblin. We get to see Doc Ock. We still don't get to see Venom, Matt Murdock, or the three Spider-Mans. However, I know that you had sent me the screenshot of Matt Murdock at the table and the three Spider-Mans all on the same screen at the same time. I loved them, posted them to all things movies, and I guess we got a little blowback about posting spoilers, but I felt like it was more posting a rumor. Hey, man, people get real touchy and feely when it comes to these Marvel movies. They don't want to be ruined by anything. They want to come in blind-eyed, and it's tough because, you know, when they listen to us on the audio version, Wayne, we're pretty spoiler-free beyond uh, the movies that we're remaking from 20, 30 years ago. But then on the, the digital platform, you know, you're out there shooting your load on everything that's Spider-Man related. So, yeah, I think it got some people um, a, a little up in arms. But, you know, for the most part, you know, people are going to be interested in, in anything that we post in regards to the MCU. Uh, it has a huge following. We are huge fans of it. So we're going to keep people in the know. And it's not confirmed. It could certainly be fake. You and I hope it's not fake, but we'll see what happens. And uh, touching on that trailer, I think it was really awesome to see all the villains that we did get to see. We also got to see, um, you know, do you see John Cena punch Lizard there? I didn't see um, that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, John Cena's invisible, but he, you know, you got to see Lizard get punched. And uh, so a lot of people are speculating that that was uh, John Cena who did that. But overall, you know, getting to see Doc Ock, getting to hear Green Goblin, um, you know, you saw a much, much better version of Jamie Foxx in here as a... Uh, what is he, uh, Electro or Shocker? I can't remember his exact title, but he looks much more refined here um, because when he originally was presented, it, it was like uh, a guy from the Blue Man Group. wasn't good. Well, one of the things that I hate about social media is how fake news can get out there. And I know that you had seen posted and you sent it to me was fans clamoring to get Daniel Radcliffe to reprise his role as the kid from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And I was like, he wasn't in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. He was like 17 by that point. He was doing Deathly Hallows. No, 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 but he did a time spell. Remember, he used the little necklace that can um, turn back time. He, he borrowed that from Cher. If I can turn back time. Um, and uh, no, I'm pretty sure that was Daniel Radcliffe because he can work in Spider-Man and he can also star in The Matrix when he wants. <laughs> okay. He can do it all. <laughs> He's um, the chosen one. The other thing that you sent me, not Marvel related, but you sent me the cheaper by the dozen remake possibility with Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union. I know that you weren't a huge fan of this because you're like, hey, nobody's really asking for a remake of this. And I agree with that. But if they are going to remake it, I do like that pairing. Nobody's asking for remakes of a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, like like Garfield and other things. But yeah, I mean, I don't mind Zach Braff. He definitely was funny on Scrubs. I really like Gabrielle Union. I um, haven't seen her in anything in a long time other than Dwayne Wade's Instagram. But um, I'm sure they can provide humor on to an old property. I wonder if they're going to bring back anybody from the old franchise. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think we're continuing to see a lot of things be pumped out in Hollywood. It's like, didn't they do this like 10, 15 years ago? But, you know, I'm, I'm saying that with, you know, two faces here as I'm having you listen to our podcast about us making new things. I don't know if you had planned to touch on it, Wayne, but uh, the Ghostbusters Afterlife with Paul Rudd, I'm hearing pretty good things about that. I haven't heard anything about it, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm sh 
the previews looked okay, and obviously Paul Rudd was named as Sexiest Man Alive by People Magazine, so my wife agrees with that. But otherwise, yeah, the movie itself, I, I'm interested, and I'm really interested to see if they bring back, you know, three of the four characters. I know, obviously, Egon's dead. They could always do a voiceover or something, but I would like to see all four of them implemented somehow into the film. Oh, yeah, I mean, with those three coming in in part, right, it's already better than that Melissa McCarthy installment that they had. Uh, I don't, wanna, don't even want to get into that whole thing. And, and I actually talked to another podcast today about, you know, he was talking about having a female James Bond. And I said, trust me, you do not want to get me started. We'll never get off this call. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty passionate about his Bond having a wee-wee, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I mean, we don't need to make every single movie now with female leads. Like, let's do a female Die Hard, female John McClane, female Rambo. Like, no, listen, guys, dial it back, okay? I want to see Megan Fox's Indiana Jones stat. <laughs> well, that's just basically Laura Croft. Why do you think they made Laura Croft? <laughs> All right, so what about uh, things we've watched recently? I know you and I had talked a little bit before we started recording about Dope Sick and how it's kind of wrapped up now. And I'll just say that, obviously, I love, love, loved the entire series. I felt myself getting angry every time the drug company was doing something I felt like they shouldn't do. I was a little disappointed with the settlement that they got, the $600 million, But, you know, they later had the thing that said they, they had to pay four point six or something like that. They're working on a bigger plea deal. Right. I, I found myself after the series really siding with the Skarsgård character. I didn't feel like I was fulfilled. I didn't feel like uh, that was enough. And I, I feel like that's probably the feeling by a lot of families who are touched by, um, you know, the epidemic involving, you know, drugs like that. So um, they never feel like anything's going to be enough. There's no price tag for all the, the loss that the, you know, pharmaceuticals and stuff like that have caused with the harmful use. You know, really awesome performances by some actors and actresses. You know, Hulu did not do a bad job at all by casting some huge names in here and they all delivered uh, michael keaton you and i have touched on he better get nominated for something you and i are going to keep preaching his name on twitter and telling people we know to watch this show not only for his performance but you know definitely his performance stood out and i think there are other people in there that really deserve to be mentioned um you know scars guard specifically but the whole series was very heavy very eye-opening and I, with you, was very mad a lot of the times that they were showing the Sackler family on TV. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. And I agree, too. Michael Keaton needs to get an Emmy for Best Dramatic Performance or something like that because I really felt like every scene that he was in was just fantastic. I mean, the whole series is fantastic, but I really felt like, kind of like The Dark Knight. It's a great movie, but Heath Ledger really stole every scene. I felt like Michael Keaton stole every scene he was in. Right, and I, I got to say, I'm really proud and happy to have uh, provided you a series or really a, a topic at all that you liked so much. Um, you know, I, I was shocked to find that, you know, not only did you like it, but you really dug in as much as I have as far as enjoying it. Absolutely. And on the flip side, you said you'd started watching Dexter. I did. After you said you started watching it, you know, out of the blue, my girlfriend was like, can I start watching Dexter? And I was like, why not? I'm about nine episodes into the first season. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I know that they just released, uh, I think, like an updated, um, you know, version of it or an updated, um, like, retelling. Maybe it's a continued story with the same actor. Um, hopefully, I'll, I'll get to that at some point. I'm, I'm not as fast at binging things as you are, so I'm sure you're at, like, season five. But, yeah, I'm, I'm at about season eight or nine in the first season so far. I'm really enjoying it. Yes, yeah, uh, season four, episode three for me. I'm kind of I'm cruising right along. You're an animal. You're an animal. <laughs> <laughs> Does your wife ever see you again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I get up early. I usually watch it early in the morning. Yeah, you get a strategy and a process. It definitely works for you. You've been really good about not spoiling things either. 
once I get to the point where you're at, you and I can definitely talk about it. All right. And other than that, did you have any other news you wanted to tackle before we get into heat? I do not. You know, it's getting warm in here, Wayne, so we should probably get to it. The heat is on. I will not take Nelly's advice, though, and take off all my clothes. Everybody would appreciate that. Even though it's <laughs> even though it's just an audio version, we all would appreciate that. All right. Let's do it. So today we are going to be recasting Heat, which came out in 1995. It is directed by Michael Mann, who has done things like Collateral and The Last Mohicans. He's a very good director. I actually confuse him sometimes with Michael Bay, which I shouldn't do, because Michael Bay, explosions, Michael Mann, drama. Yeah, you know, two big mics. You know, we've seen a lot of big mics in history. I mean, Jordan, Tyson. Yeah, these uh, very different directors. Um, You know, I think you're thinking more Transformers and less... You know, gun pow pow. Exactly, bad boys. <laughs> oh yeah, touche. He he did do uh, some awesome bad boys movies. So I do have the thing here before we get into this film. I do have our recap, which I got from IMDb, which I'm loving because they keep it to a paragraph instead of getting too detailed. They keep it brief but to the point. So this is the recap of Heat by IMDb. A group of high-end professional thieves start to feel the heat from the LAPD when they unknowingly leave a clue at their last heist. It is 8.2 on IMDb, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's two hours and 51 minutes long. I know you watched it. What did you think about this film? I definitely enjoyed it. You know, it didn't feel as long as the runtime says when, because I think Michael Mann really does an awesome job of, of pacing this and really making sure that you stay interested in the film. He doesn't just go, you know, bank robbery and then, you know, end scene. You know, he... Finally, we got to see Pacino and De Niro um, on the same screen. I know you had watched the Godfather movies, and you know they're in that movie together. But I think you you had even noted that they're not on screen together. Um, it's kind of a different sequence. So this was nice to see them in a movie together, really pitted against each other. That's really the highlight of the film: is the two of them sitting at the table talking to each other in the restaurant. And I will say that you and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum here. I know when JV John Vincent on Facebook had recommended this film. I was really not looking forward to it because I'd seen the movie before and you say it doesn't feel like two hours and 51 minutes. I thought it felt like seven weeks long. Uh, This movie, I just can't stand it. I watched it and my biggest problem with it is it's so much exposition. I mean, we have the shootout scene at the bank. We have the heist at the very, very beginning, but the movie's a lot of talking and unlike Shawshank Redemption, which is a lot of talking, but it's all interesting, funny, entertaining. There was nothing funny or entertaining or interesting, I felt like, about the dialogue in this film, to the point that they didn't even develop the characters outside of Pacino and De Niro, and we'll get into that with the recasting, but I really felt like all of the actors don't matter. Like They're all throwaway roles, except for the top two. I'll disagree um, well, slightly on just the top two, but like you mentioned, we'll get into that when we get into our characters and, and who we chose for them. But I think that you know they certainly could have flashed out more. I think uh, Michael Mann was more focused on telling the story between these two and you know the the juxtaposition between the, the two characters themselves you know the the bad guy and, and the good guy and uh you know i don't know it didn't feel as long to me um i, I really enjoyed it 
Um, and uh, but I will agree with you. No comedy at all. Um, you know, there wasn't really any humor to to help you not look at your watch. Right. I mean, the only part I think I really laughed at, and I actually quoted it when I was on Man Hour last because I was talking about how we were doing this film and that I didn't really like it. And Soup Boss was on, and he disagreed with me, and he said it's a really good movie. I said, no, 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 it's a bad movie, but it's got a great ass. That line right there is the reason that our friend John Vincent wanted us to do this movie. Um, and uh, he goes, hey, you want to know why I want you guys to do this? And he goes, not only do I love the movie, but it has my favorite line ever in cinema. And I go, oh, yeah, what's that? And he sent me the gif of Pacino doing that. And so as soon as it came up on the screen during the movie, I go, there it is. That's why. So uh, JV's a Peach fan. Definitely, I don't know, I, I like the performances. I thought it was good. All right. Well, do you want to kick things off, or is it me going first with Wingro? We're doing like we did last week. We're starting at the lower, at, at number nine, and we're going to go all the way up to one. And that makes sense. Um, why don't you go ahead and start us off, Wayne, um, with Wingro? You lied to me. I can always tell when people lie to me. You don't know what this is. The Grim Reaper's visiting with you. Yeah, so Wayne Grow was played by Kevin Gage. He was 36 years old. Prior to this, he was in The Burbs. He's since done Con Air, G.I. Jane, Blow, the knockaround guy. So he's been in stuff, but he's never quite the leading man. He's always like that kind of background guy or the third type tier character. I had here for his notes just redneck, trailer trash, kind of like a maybe even like a biker gang type of guy. Uh, slimy, a guy you can hate. He reminds me from another 48 Hours, which is the sequel to the Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte. There's a character named Angel in the biker gang. He's very, very similar to that character. I kept it with kind of like more of that Southern feel. I went with Walter Goggins, uh, who's 50. Uh, I think of a Major League Three, horrible movie. He played Billy Downtown Anderson, Shanghai Noon, The Shield, Cowboys and Aliens, Django Unchained. He's the star of Justified. He usually plays kind of a cowboy. So that's what I thought of. It's like that Southwestern outlaw kind of guy yeah I, I like the walter goggins pick a lot wayne i think he's got that bone structure he's got that look of just a bad guy that you can't trust i think that fit with wayne grow when you see wayne grow you know kind of immediately you go this guy's a slimy dude he's a guy that you're definitely not going to root for at any point um and he only continues to prove that to you as the film goes on i mean he you know, calls himself the grim reaper uh you know he ends up you know brutalizing and and killing a, a young teen prostitute so really a, a bad dude i mean i saw the sliminess the greasiness and i went with a guy from the show vikings am i incorrect in thinking you are watching that wayne uh not yet but it's something i want to get to okay so i know him most notably from from that show right there and he's just a, a bad dude that you know from the second you see him on the screen you know i'm not gonna like this guy i'm not gonna be able to trust this guy i mean he gives you a, a slimy sleazy feeling so the guy i went with was gustav skarsgård another member of the Skarsgård family, which has like 14 actors in the family that are all active. Um, yeah, Stel Stellan, Peter. I mean, I, you know, there's all kinds that, you know, are all over Hollywood. And, you know, honestly, they all provide really serious performances. Yeah, I was looking into Gustav Skarsgård and I was watching interviews with him. I was watching some clips of him. I mean, I think he's a perfect fit. I, again, he looks almost like a, a doppelganger of the original guy, uh, minus the long hair. He's kind of bald, but you could just throw some stringy hair on him. And otherwise, I think he looks almost the same. He definitely... Even when he smiles, like in interviews, and it's a genuine smile, it's like a douchebag smile. I'm like, oh, this is totally. I would, I would hate this guy as soon as he's on the screen. So I thought it was a perfect choice. I appreciate that, Wayne. I'm glad that we're starting off nice here because you know I'm sure, especially knowing you, I can anticipate to come away from this with some black eyes as the cast goes on. <laughs> Moving forward, here we have Van Zant. Nice talking to you. 
You gonna duel these guys? So word's on the street, it's okay to steal my stuff. I'm gonna kill the sons of bitches. Have Harry bring me the spreadsheets for Canary Islands offshore. Van Zandt is played by William Finkner, and uh, he is a white-collar criminal here. He is someone that definitely gets in the way of um, one of our two top stars, Neil McCauley, and uh, ends up becoming someone involved with Wayne Grow towards the end there. Finkner, um, I know from, you know, The Longest Yard. Um, I know he's in all kinds of other stuff. He's a really good actor, really serious actor. In this, it wasn't a huge role, but, you know, you can see for a, a white collar, for a guy that wears a shirt and a tie, he can definitely be slimy and sleazy. I didn't try too hard on this one. I just thought of somebody that I, I didn't like and somebody that I felt to be kind of meek, feeble, somebody that I felt could be behind a computer screen and uh, really kind of maybe hacking, um, doing this kind of... this generations white collar and that for me was eddie redmayne eddie redmayne a lot of our fans would know from fantastic beasts i'm not a huge fan of his he seems meek and feeble again someone that i could imagine behind a desk and working crimes uh that way but not really earning his stripes um having any muscle at all yeah i think that you hit the nail right on the head again i think you've encapsulated this character perfectly with eddie redmayne uh, the guy's a money launderer so you think jason bateman and ozark again jason bateman's kind of a wimpy dude too he's just he's, he's a numbers cruncher that's what he does and so eddie redmayne definitely comes across as being a studious kind of a numbers cruncher and i love that you brought up like wimpy or weak because he tries to act tough and he tries to off de niro but obviously val kilmer's got his back and then de niro calls him and he's like i'm on an empty phone because there's a dead man on the other end of this line and from that point, he goes into hiding, peeing his pants for the rest of the movie. And so I was like, what a puss bag. You know, he tried to act all tough like he's a mobster, but really all he is is just a money launderer. So, yeah, 100% agree. Eddie Redmayne would fit that completely perfectly. I kind of did the same thing I went with Matthew Reese. Uh, Matthew Reese was in uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with the Mr. Rogers movie. He plays the Lloyd, the guy who's interviewing Mr. Rogers. He's also in The Americans. He plays Philip Jennings. So, again, just a guy who looks like he would put on a suit, go to work, launder money for the mafia and the minute you tell him you're going to kill him he starts crying and whimpering in the fetal position yeah i know uh, matthew from the americans he is actually um married to his co-star on there which i thought was pretty awesome and weird I'm, I'm sure that's difficult at times but um in the americans he is like like an undercover right he's like a soviet um working undercover um so i uh, could definitely see him being the white collar i wear a shirt and tie and do bad things kind of vibe so um for our first two, we're really being nice to each other here, Wayne. So maybe our fans uh, won't get our true vibe until as the show goes on, but really liking your first start. Yeah, and I think that it's going to be kind of a theme. And I'll be honest, up until we get to about the top two, that's the only time I really have any criticism. Because, like I said, this movie, to me, I feel like they didn't do a great job really letting the actors flex on these supporting roles. And so it's kind of like they're all vanilla roles until you get to Pacino and De Niro. So for me, it was like, all right, as long as you cast somebody who looks similar, has some similar traits, you know, it's not like, all right, I'm going to recast Iron Man. You're like, no, no, it's got to be super specific for that role. It's like these were all like, all right, well, as long as you put somebody in there who's close, you know? Right. Edie was played by Amy Brenneman. I've seen in this store from time to time. What store? I'm seeing Ingalls. I went there. Uh, you don't want to talk to me. It's okay. Sorry I bothered you. Prior to this, she was in Casper. She played the mom, Amelia, the ghost of the mom, I should say. And, you know, she is now have been in 111 episodes as Dr. Violet Turner in private practice. To me, she is the, you know, she's a love interest for Macaulay, De Niro's character. But I consider her kind of attractive for sure. 
but more like weak and feeble. She's not a strong, independent woman. This is a woman who's like, okay, I'll go along with you. Oh, you're killing people? That's okay. I'll go with you. You know, she's just very weak and, and, and feeble. And so this is maybe where I get a little bit kind of where I didn't encapsulate that in my character because I went with Michelle Trachtenberg, who is 36 years old. We know her as Harriet the Spy, but she did grow up doing Inspector Gadget as Penny, Dawn Summers, and Buffy. She was in Eurotrip, Ice Princess, 17 again. She's actually kind of a sexy lady now at 36, but she does, now that I'm thinking about it, she's a little bit stronger than Amy Brenneman's character. So I, I wonder if that won't play out as well. Yeah, Amy wasn't, she wasn't a strong character in this film to me, and she wasn't someone that really deserved Neil's time. I think for someone as as big and crime mobby as he is, she just didn't seem like um, that much of a catch. And, um, you know, I know she's listening right now, so I'm sorry, Amy. Um, but uh, I, I just, I, she didn't seem like someone who he would have even hesitated on that 30 seconds, I got a plan if, if I'm going to, you know, leave or go. Um, and he thought about it with her, and I go, I don't know, man, she's not that much of a catch. So with your Michelle Trachtenberg, obviously I remember her most from Harriet the Spy. She comes off as a bit young for this role. Um, I know she tried to really shed that young Nickelodeon vibe, you know, with the Eurotrip movie, um, which was, you know, raunchy and, and fun. You know, Scotty still doesn't know. I think, you know, it's a good pick. I don't hate it. Um, I don't love it. Um, I think it's a good pick. She just comes off as a little young, and, and we're going to touch on it, but I'm wondering if maybe you should have swapped this one with your Charlene. But, uh, you know, overall... I like the pick. I think she's really cute. I just think that she's she's probably more what um, you know the cast should have gone for. So I'm going to give you credit for something that you probably will get criticized for. But I think she's more of what Neil McCauley should be should be rooting for, should be going for. And uh, for for my Edie Wayne, uh, I I think I may have gone with you know the same path as you. I went with someone that I think was more worth Neil's time. Uh, someone that would have really made him hesitate and, and think about whether or not he was going to take her with him, um, or really kind of you know quit this crime boss stuff. And so I went with Blake Lively. That is uh, Ryan Reynolds' wife. She is a wonderful actress, a beautiful actress, and I just really think that you know she would fit very well as being that one that makes our top you know bad guy hesitate. Yeah, for sure. Again, she's in Gossip Girl as Serena. She plays the perfect kind of submissive pretty girl, which is what we need. The thing that's going to be really tough, I think when we get to who you casted as Neil, definitely think it doesn't matter who you cast as an actress. She's going to be overpowered by this actor. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that, sir. <laughs> no spoiler alerts here. You know, we don't want Chris to get upset. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So how about Michael? Well, what the hell happens to Van Zandt on 750? Van Zandt, listen, with the heat we got, you want to play World War II in the streets with Van Zandt? No, I want my 750, and when he gets a pass... All right, so uh, Michael here uh, was originally played by Tom Sizemore, someone who I wasn't very familiar with, but just seeing him, I was like, yeah, this guy comes off as intimidating, uh, he comes off as serious, and just a few moments, he provides that to you when he, um, you know, when Wayne Grove gets in the truck, and, you know, he starts chatting it up, and Sizemore just looks at him and goes, hey, shut up. And, you know, he takes him serious at that point. And then, you know, moving forward, you've got the scene in the diner um, when Neil is really giving it to Wayne Grove for, you know, being, you know, an idiot and, you know, making their situation much worse. And other tables look over and, and you know, Michael's character just stares right at him, gives him a very stern look. And that's all that customer needed to be like, oh, that's not my business. Whatever's going on over there, I'm not going to get involved with. I'm not going to speak up. I'm going to shut my mouth. And so for that character, I went with Sean Hadesey. Um, and uh, I'm really sorry, Sean. Again, I know you're listening, and I, and I hope I didn't butcher that name too much there. I'm going to continue to watch and enjoy your show, Animal Kingdom. 
Uh, that is a show that's on TNT, and uh, I, I think it, it just takes a, an episode or two to watch that and really get the vibe that you know his character Pope is providing. Um, he gives me that stern. He doesn't need to look. Um, you know, and in Animal Kingdom, he actually plays, um, you know, he's in a family of people who, you know, rob places. He's um, in, in like a crime family and he is the one that has done time um, and he is the one that, you know, is super serious looking, stern looking and kind of weird. Um, so uh, that was my pick for Michael. Yeah, and I think that's a great pick. Again, it fits the mold. He's got the right look. He is going to do what he needs to do. It's another role. It's another character that, again, wasn't really fleshed out, wasn't really developed. So we do get that stern scene in the restaurant where he looks at the guy. That's one thing he does. And then other than that, he doesn't have a whole lot. He grabs the kid as a human shield before he gets killed. But really, I mean, he's he, I think he's a family man because they have that dinner out where they're all out at dinner together when uh, Pacino's first checking him out, and he's got, like, a wife, I think. So I was like, all right, so he's somebody who is – kind of settling down and i think even pacino told him at one point when they were talking about doing this bank job he's like hey listen if you want out like listen you have a family you can walk and it's totally cool uh so that's the one thing i picked up on a family guy extremely loyal sidekick to macaulay but otherwise it's essentially like a throwaway role on his gang so i went with a guy because it's this type of role that i have chastised over and over and will continue to so don't let this fool you people but colin farrell who was in SWAT, Daredevil, Minority Report. He is easily my least favorite actor of all time. I hate this guy. But I will say that in recent movies, he was in Dumbo. He was in Roman J. Israel Esquire. He was in Saving Mr. Banks. He's actually done really well in like his most recent five or six films. And so I'm like, all right, I will give you a chance with three lines in this film. <laughs> and what is he going to be in soon, Wayne? Uh, what is he going to be in soon? I don't know. What's, he, what's his next role? He is the Penguin in The Batman. Oh, that's right. That's right. And he looks like the guy, the the, the fat guy there from... Uh, DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to him in uh, The Batman. Um, not sure how much he'll be in that. I was shocked when you sent over your list and he, he was right there. And I go, oh my goodness, I thought he would never cast this gentleman. But, you know, I'm going to keep riding this positive train for a bit longer, Wayne. I really like the pick of Colin Farrell. My last two frame of references for Colin Farrell are Horrible Bosses, where he is just the very douchey boss that's obviously using coke, and he's angry at everybody. He's trying to, you know, make it extremely easy for him. And then uh, beyond that, you've got him as, you know, Bullseye from the horrible Daredevil movie. So he's he's got a history of playing a... A bad guy um, and a douchey bad guy. Um, you know the human shield thing. Um, using a kid, I didn't know if he was trying to save that kid um, or, or or use the kid, but then it became more evident. And you go, oh come on, man. Um, so I uh, really like the pick of you um, uh, choosing Colin Farrell there. Excellent. So now we get into Nate, which I actually think is one of the characters that's a little more developed than some of the others. My name is Hannah. First name Vincent. I spent the sergeant advice five yards. Hannah's all over you. Then all the work cars, Michael's house. She hear this, not yours, they've been losing you at night. And there's a hot dog, graduate school, Marine Corps, Lieutenant Robbery Homicide, Major Crime Unit. He's taken down some heavy crews. Blew away Frankie Yonder in Chicago. Originally played by John Voight, who was 57 at this point. He had been in some stuff, Catch-22, Midnight Cowboy, Deliverance. Basically, he's an old guy. He's the fence. Very trustworthy. Like, he's not going to rat anybody out. He kind of sells the stuff that De Niro steals. I felt like he had to be kind of gruff and seasoned and wise. You know, like he's the one I think that gives De Niro advice from time to time. Like, hey, listen, this is what you should do this is what you shouldn't do. 
So this was a character that's like, okay, wow, we have a character now that I can actually kind of feel for a little bit. And I went with Ed O'Neill, who we know as Al Bundy, of course, from uh, Married with Children, Modern Family as Jay Pritchett. But I also think of him as in Blue Chips, uh, Dutch. Basically, everyone knows who Ed O'Neill is. You see the guy, you know who he is. He's 75 years old now. He looks the part. I could picture him being an old fence and just, you know, selling the stolen goods. Yeah, he, he's a touch older than, you know, John Voight was at the time, but that's not too much of an issue. Like you said, he looks the role. The shine's coming off a little bit here, though, Wayne, because I, I don't love this pick. I think that my, you know, you, you touched on both the things that I remember him most from, and in there, he's a guy I, I rooted for or found to be funny, um, and that was Married with Children and, and then Modern Family. Um, so I don't really see him as bringing me, you know, crime, former prison guy, I'm the, the connector, the middleman vibes. Um, so, I mean, while I think his, his age um, and his look fits it, um, his, his resume just doesn't scream, uh, I'm a great fit for this. Um, so this is, I, I still like it, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm still not quite loving any of the picks, or at least this one specifically. Uh, so mine that I picked is uh, Eric Roberts, um, also known as Julia Roberts' brother. Uh, and uh, uh, I loved, um, you know, the the weathered look he gave me. Um, he is someone that was in The Dark Knight as um, being in some type of uh, crime family, crime syndicate, um, uh, definitely crime related. And, you know, I feel like he gives me that um, th- that weathered, greasy, I'm a bad guy vibe and just about anything that I see him in. And so, uh, again, I went with Eric Roberts. Yeah, I agree with you. He always kind of plays that, believe it or not, 644 acting credits for Eric Roberts. He's been in everything. Uh, I think he did 40 movies Le- just last year. <laughs> Le- less or more than Julia. <laughs> I think that's way more. She probably has like 87 or 90. Yeah, so with him, I like him. Good choice. I think he fits the role. The one thing I think that is different than the main character, and I don't think it diminishes how he would play the role or anything like that, is that Eric Roberts does play roles that are a little bit crazier and creepier in a way. You know, I mean, like John Voight, I felt played kind of like almost like, I don't know, like laid back fatherly. Fatherly is not the right word because he didn't come across as a father figure, but just, you know what I mean? Like a more like smooth guy. And Eric Roberts is definitely a lot more intimidating. But I think that's okay because, again, he's got to deal with a lot of these criminals. In fact, he's the one that initially calls Van Zant to say, hey, do you want to buy these bonds back? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think both of us provided pretty good picks here. I, I don't think either one of us picked a bad one. And I do agree with you. This is where we start to get some fleshing. Um, and then just to touch back on the Tom Sizemore character, I, I'd like to agree with you there again on, you know, that conversation between Neil and him is really the only time that we see any type of character development. So as good of a job as Michael Mann did telling the main story between the, the original, you know, the main two, uh, kind of a poor job fleshing out, you know, such a star-studded cast. I mean, I had sent it to you when I sent over my cast all the people that we weren't uh, casting. And so there's a lot of names in here, but really not a lot of development. Right, exactly. So you got Charlene? There is no point talking to you because all you are is a child growing older. What's this supposed to mean? It means we're not making forward progress like real grown-up adults live in our lives because I'm married to a gambling junkie who won't listen. I do, yeah. So moving forward here with Charlene, originally played by Ashley Judd. Um, you know, also know her um, from... Uh, you know, her wonderful family, her well-known family, um, and uh, uh, other great movies. You know, I know her from A Time to Kill, um, and she's had a great career uh, since then. Um, but I think in this movie, um, she does a good job of being someone who is, is she knows about it. She's in, you know, there are some uh, families that I think are in and some that are out um, with their spouses, and she's definitely in on the uh, the whole job, um, the whole uh, event um, when you see... Uh, 
her husband come home with you know money she's asking about it she's counting it so she's very involved um and you do see um her and uh charlie's character uh, really get fleshed out a bit though um and i think um sorry chris's character so you see chris and you see uh charlene you see them squabble a bit and you see neil get involved with both of them you know marriage wise uh so i think their love story does get a little intertwined with the larger story uh, my Charlene is uh, a young actress that I think is going to, you know, continue to blow up. Um, that's Isa Gonzalez. She's in um, uh, a lot of uh, Latin American soap operas, uh, Latin American Nickelodeon growing up. So almost along the same line of your Michelle Trachtenberg. Um, she's going to be in something next year um, called Ambulance. And that has Jake Gyllenhaal um, and uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, who's actually going to be the uh, Morpheus um, in the latest uh, Matrix. So... I really think that she's uh, an up-and-comer. She's going to be in something huge with some huge people. Um, and uh, at the time, you know, Ashley Judd wasn't huge. So I think this is, um, you know, a good fit. Someone who's attractive, someone that you could really believe is in a relationship with the youngest person in Neil's gang. Yeah, exactly. So she is definitely the one that wears the pants. And I think that this is a, a great pick in terms of the look. I think that she fits absolutely perfectly there. Again, because my number one note is not just pretty, but beautiful. So she's obviously a complete knockout, which uh, Isa Gonzalez is. I didn't or I wasn't able to find a whole lot of her showing kind of like balls, so to say. You know what I mean? And that's one of the things I had for her, too. She's very strong. She wears the pants. She pushes Chris around. Chris does not give any pushback with her at all. And the only one that can really get in her face is De Niro. So that's the only thing I think with Isaac Gonzalez is trying to find – I was trying to find something of her showing that kind of authority like that. Hey, I'm in your face. I'm going to tell you what to do, you know? Yeah, um, I'd, ag- I'd agree. She probably doesn't feature as much aggressiveness in her, her young career yet. Uh, I think the only time we see her show any assertiveness is, you know, in that ambulance trailer. And I know that's probably a 90-second trailer. But, you know, she you know, she, she does kind of seem to hold her on with people that are, you know, trying to, to, to rob. And, and that's what Jake Hall's character is trying to do in that trailer and in that movie that's upcoming. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Hopefully that will uh, help, you know, kind of build her, her character um, and her, her resume out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just looking for someone who is young, beautiful. and um, But I do take your criticism. I, I do agree. She's not as aggressive as maybe I could have found. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's still a good pick. Like I said, just, uh, I'd like to see that a little bit more. I went with Jessica Alba, again, trying to keep it young, really pretty, or younger than my Chris, anyways. Really pretty, and obviously she was in the Fantastic Four. She was in Sin City, Machete. Good luck, Chuck. She has played kind of an authoritative person. She is very pretty, and I could see her pushing Chris around, you know, as well as being a fantastic actress. But I felt like she fit or hit on all the, uh, the, the checks that I was trying to check. Yeah, Jessica Alba is definitely, you know, strong, funny, and cute. I think she's a great pick. Um, I touched on it earlier. I just think she maybe would have fit better um, being the love interest um, of Neil McCauley um, because she she is a bit older. Um, whereas, you know, I think that, you know, the Ashley Judd character, she really shows like, you know, they, they show some, some young, tough love there in, in their relationship. They have a young child that you can hear crying. So, uh, I mean, while Jessica Alba is still very hot for her age, she comes off a little bit older and kind of well-established where, again, Ashley Judd wasn't super established at this point. Um, but I don't hate to pick, you know, by any means. I think, you know, Jessica Alba checks a lot of the boxes. Like you said, she's strong, funny, and cute. And you get her... Um, you know, really kind of pushing, you know, her spouse. Um, and you had mentioned she's younger than your Chris. I'm not sure who isn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't uh, dislike the pick. Um, so uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, lead off with Chris. Or is that you? Uh, I think I have Chris. You go ahead. Yeah. yeah. 
And you're gonna get some furniture. I'm gonna go on to it. Charlene's gonna leave me. Why? Not no steaks in the freezer. So, Chris, this was actually a disappointing character for me. And, and I'll tell you why, because it's played by Val Kilmer, who was 36 at the time. He actually had already done Batman, completely rocked his role as Doc Holliday in Tombstone. He was in True Romance, The Doors, Willow, Top Gun, Real Genius. So he's an established star. And the reason I say it's disappointing is because, again, I, I felt like Michael Mann or the writer or whoever it was didn't spend enough time developing Chris's character, which is too bad because even with that little development – I thought Chris was the coolest character in the movie. Like I was like, yeah, I'm on Team Chris all the way. He's awesome. But I don't know why he was awesome because I didn't learn anything about him. You know. So for me, I was just trying to find a guy who was going to be confident, who was going to be essentially like you know Macaulay's foster son to say the least, but was going to be really cool. Like when he's on screen, you're like, all right, this guy is really cool. No matter what he says or does, or even if he doesn't get any lines, which it seems like he didn't in the film, I went with Jeremy Renner. Uh, I think at this point we're going to start casting people that nobody really needs an introduction for, but Hawkeye, Mission Impossible, The Town, Mayor of Kingston. This is a guy who, I mean, everyone knows who he is, and I just think he would be, as far as my crew so far, he'd be the youngest member of the crew, and uh, I just think he's super cool. Like He just oozes coolness. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use your words against you, and you said he was like Neil's like son, um, and uh, well, man, Jeremy Renner's 50, um, and when Val Kilmer played this role, he was about half that, so... Um, that was tough to swallow when I saw you send this to me. He absolutely, you know, checks off the action vibes that you see from Val Kilmer in here. Um, and he definitely holds his own um, in a lot of the, you know, the action scenes. Um, he needs to be helped off, you know, in the, you know, the, the street scene there where you see a lot of guns blasting and, and people, you know, being in jeopardy, which I, I want to note the sounds of that scene. Oh, man, it was it was definitely like you were standing there in the midst of of the gunshots. Um, but, you know, I, I think Jamie Renner is just a, a, a touch old for me, Wayne. I, I think you do this sometimes where you pick somebody who's very well known, but just older. Um, and so that was, you know, just the toughest thing for me to swallow was his age. But he definitely provides you everything you want from, you know, a, an action perspective. I just I'd seem to buy in a little bit to the the love angle that they were trying to feed us. And I just I, I can't believe that, you know, him and Jessica Alba are going to have a tough time figuring it out. Um, and also that they have a, a toddler. Um, but uh, moving on to my character, um, I picked someone that, you know, as soon as I saw long hair Val Kilmer, long blonde hair, action-y Val Kilmer, I go, oh, man, I know who my guy is. That's that's Jax from Sons of Anarchy. That's Charlie Hunnam. Uh, so I feel like, you know, a lot of things you said, the youngest guy in the crew, um, you know, we do see Chris at the end there. You know, we see him and Charlene have the strongest bond as far as relationships because we are featured at least three relationships in here. Um, and... They obviously have the strongest bond. You see Charlene kind of wave him off at the end there after he cuts his hair and changes his appearance a bit. Um, and so we really see Chris as, as the only one that ends up leaving this movie alive from that gang. Um, so we start to get a little bit more character development that I think you're giving it credit for. Um, but I definitely see some missed opportunities like you are stating. Uh, so, yeah, mine, um, again, is Charlie Hunnam. Know him most from Sons of Anarchy. Um, he, he's been in other things, but I think he's one of those actors that's had a tough time transitioning from, you know, success in TV to success in Hollywood with movies. I know he was also in The Gentleman with Matthew McConaughey, and he played kind of, you know, the, the younger, uh, you know, bodyguard tough guy for Matthew McConaughey in The Gentleman, which is a, a recent film he's in. Yeah, he's in uh, Pacific Rim, King Arthur, The Lost City of Z, 
I actually was first introduced to him when he was really young in a movie called Green Street Hooligans, uh, which is a really, really good uh, soccer movie. But I really like Charlie Hunnam here. I think he does look the part, like you said, uh, you know, blonde hair. Even if it's short, if it's long, it doesn't matter. He looks kind of like that surfer guy, which is what I felt like Val Kilmer kind of played that kind of surfer guy, although we don't know because he didn't say anything the whole movie. So I, I do think that, <laughs> you know, Charlie Hunnam definitely fits the role. I, th- I think that he looks absolutely the part. Uh, again, I think that these are really easy characters to recast because of how little development there was. Charlene had a lot of development, I felt like. I felt like Nate had some decent development. Like I said, I just felt like they missed the boat with Chris. But as far as what we have on the screen for Chris, I think Charlie Hunnam absolutely rocks it. Well, this, we could better save this episode. I'm going to put a star next to it because you've given me way too much criticism so far. I can only imagine what's coming. Um, but uh, for uh, it, it looks like next up we have, uh, starting in with our, our final two here, uh, I've got Neil McCauley. There's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in? Then I got to put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. We've been face to face, yeah. But I will not hesitate, not for a second. And uh, that's originally played by Robert De Niro. I want you all to pause right now. If you do not know who Robert De Niro is, uh, unfollow us, unsubscribe. Um, you know, you know who De Niro is, folks. Um, you know, from more recently, you know, Meet the Fockers and Meet the Parents, to all the way back to, you know, Raging Bull and you know, Taxi. You know, this this guy's a legend. Um, was also in the Godfather series, so um, you know, give him his due. Um, and in here, um, I think he, he definitely clearly portrays, you know, the bad guy, the guy that, you know, is the leader of his crew. Um, he is very smart. You can see when he brings, uh, you know, Pacino's, uh, you know, group of cops out to the, the shipyard, you know, he's, he's a very smart guy. He's, he's spotting them, you know, Pacino goes, ah, we've been made. Uh, so, uh, definitely a smart guy, uh, Neil McCauley. And, uh, for him, I chose... Javier Bardem, uh, this actor, you'd know him from, you know, Skyfall. He played um, the villain in Skyfall, the James Bond, one of the greater James Bond, Daniel Craig movies. Uh, He was also uh, the uh, creepy bad guy from No Country for Old Men. I think he's got that olive skin that I was looking for to portray um, a, a an Italian like Robert De Niro. Uh, I think he's got that, that dark hair. I think he's got that intimidating vibe. Um, and I think he could really deliver in this role as Neil McCauley. Yeah, so I looked at this role, and I'm going to be right up front. I mean, Javier Bardem is one of my all-time favorites. I think I bring him up every other episode about how much I love him. And I don't think I've recasted him in anything yet, but he's amazing. Like Everything he's in crushes it. Uh, he's really good. And the thing that I said is like, he definitely hits on the intimidation front. He definitely seems like he would be the leader of this gang, this heist gang. I believe the smarts and everything like that. The only criticism I had for the role was the lack of suave or charm, right? Because I feel like De Niro had kind of like a a charm about him and he even charms Pacino at that dinner. You know, when he's like, I wouldn't like it, but I'd have to take you down. So I think that he's charming. I I don't know if Bardem, if I've seen that. Now, I was talking to a gentleman uh, yesterday about it and he said that Javier Bardem did a lot of stuff before he came to the U.S. where he was like a romance novel type movie actor. So maybe he could do it. I haven't seen those though. So that would be the only criticism I have. But obviously, if you're putting Javier Bardem in it, I will watch it just because he's in it. I mean, I'll admit to not seeing any of his uh, prior to coming to uh, America filmography, um, but I will certainly take, uh, you know, your friend's 
um, information and add that to the reason why I put him in here is I think he could play that suave character. <laughs> he's, he's got that in his background, Wayne. I'm not sure if you know. Um, but uh, yeah, again, went for, you know, a guy that I think could be, you know, tall, dark, handsome and uh, leader of the gang. And I think he fits that age just just right. All right. I ended up going with uh, Johnny Depp, who is 58. I mean, again, all these actors, listen, you shouldn't have to look him up. But just in case, Blow, he's Jack Sparrow, Pirates of the Caribbean, Edward Scissorhands. But when I was looking at his filmography and really trying to figure out, you know, who is Neil McCauley, I, I thought of Johnny Depp's portrayal of John Dillinger in Public Enemies uh, as kind of like the leader of that gang and, and the bank robbery gang. And uh, not to pigeonhole him into that role, which obviously he's done a lot of different types of roles. But I can see Johnny Depp being the leader of a heist gang. I can see him being intimidating and scary, but not the muscle. He's like the brains, but he's still intimidating enough that you don't want to piss him off. Right. Um, I, I love this, Wayne. Let me tell you, I, I think I would have loved it more if you had him as Hannah. Um, but I think that Johnny Depp is a wonderful actor, super versatile. I think he gives you all kinds of range. I mean, from Charlie and Chocolate Factory to Whitey Bulger. Uh, I mean, th- this guy's all over the place. And that's why I think he probably would have been a better fit for you as the Pacino role. Um, but I think that no matter where you slotted him in, he was going to provide an awesome performance. I mean, it's, he's been a cop. He's been a bad guy. Um, he's been um, in Alice in Wonderland. Um, so this guy's a, a wonderful actor. Again, I think wherever you would have slotted him, it would have been an awesome performance. I just think he would have been better suited as, you know, the, the coked out cop. Well, speaking of the coked out cop, obviously we get into Al Pacino's role, Lieutenant Vincent Hanna. You and I are like a couple of regular fellas. You do what you do, I do what I gotta do. And now that we've been face to face, if I'm there and I gotta put you away, I won't like it. But I'll tell you, if it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're gonna turn into a widow, brother, you are going down. Pacino, again, we don't need to really list off his stuff, but you know what he was in. He was 55 when he did this role. He's a really great cop. He's got that kind of turmoil between doing his cop job and being a, a home life husband, you know, dad, kind of stepdad. We see that his wife kind of steps out on him because of the fact that he's never home and he's never around. And he's always leaving to go work a case. So he's really trying to balance that. And I thought a guy who's played a cop, again, pigeonholing a guy who's played a cop like eight times in his career. But I went with Will Smith. I think that Will Smith definitely plays a, a cop really well. I think that he would be the perfect balance to Johnny Depp, who's a little bit you know, more zany and, and Will Smith's a little bit more grounded. So I think I flipped those roles because I think Pacino's a little more zany and De Niro's more grounded. But I just flipped them there. Uh, but obviously Will Smith, Fresh Prince, Aladdin. Why are we listing these things off, people? You know who Will Smith is. <laughs> Yeah, Will Smith, again, one of those guys that has range for days. Um, I mean, recently he traced the father of uh, Venus and Serena Williams. Um, that's getting some great reviews already. Um, but, uh, yeah, from Fresh Prince to The Genie um, to Bad Boys, I mean, this guy's uh, a legend. His resume speaks for itself. Um, I, I just question, um, you know, he always seems to provide humor in, in whatever role he's playing. Um, and in this movie, you had already touched on it in the beginning before we even got to any of the cast members, Wayne very little humor if any at all and you know i always you know, even in bad boys he's providing humor and genie obviously providing humor fresh prince that he's all the humor uh so i, I just think he, he brings a, a humor vibe to him 
um, that um, I'm not sure I, I love in such a serious movie. You know, between both these two, I don't think there's a smile cracked. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on, you know, in uh, in that role of Pacino where his wife steps out on him, you know, you know, he walks right in and sees the guy and, you know, he's not mad that she's cheating on him, but he will not be watching his TV. That's right. And he throw, he breaks the shit out of that TV. Uh, so I thought that was really funny. Um, you know, don't hate your pick. I just I just don't love the fit, Wayne. I just think he he provides a bit more humor and good guy vibes for me. And Pacino just seems so wild and off the rails. I mean, he's obviously um, having like some, uh, which I, I guess every cop needs to. But he's got a relationship with a uh, you know a, a crime guy at the salvage yard, and that's where he gets some information. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that was, you know, he, he goes and has a conversation with Tone Locke, um, which that's one of the guys we didn't, we didn't cast a, a huge litany of actors and actresses we didn't cast here. But for, for my, uh, Lieutenant Hannah, again, the Pacino, I went with Pedro Pascal. Um, you, you'd know him, um, you specifically would know him cause you love Disney, um, as Mandalorian. You don't see him a lot with his helmet off there, but I think he's, uh, someone that is, you know, trying to do the most good. Um, and then before that, he does show a little bit more of a, a wild vibe in Game of Thrones. Um, that's another thing I know him from. And he plays Oberyn Martell, uh, also known as the Viper. Um, has a very brutal death himself, but uh, really plays himself to be a, a wild, confident, uh, cocky uh, guy that can hold his own in the field. Yeah, so I like Pedro Pascal. And I, was, I just recently watched Wonder Woman 1984, and he's in that. And I think that's kind of who I picture more so than Ober Martell, more so than the Mandalorian, who was very, you know, no personality with the Mandalorian. But in Wonder Woman 1984, I definitely can see him being Vincent Hanna. I, I think that the only criticism I would have would be the same one that I had for myself with Will Smith is that he tends to be more even keel. So he doesn't run that high, low emotion like a Pacino where he's screaming, you know, sit down, you know, he's more even and i think will smith same thing very even doesn't have that high so he's got the same i'd say uh, the same criticism i have for my own character the one thing i would say about will smith you mentioned the not really playing a stoic or a serious part always kind of providing humor two films where i don't think he cracks a smile in either one uh one is uh, seven pounds uh where he's dying and he's going to donate his body parts to people and then the other one is after earth with his son, which is an awful movie, but he plays a very stoic, serious, never smiles, never happy kind of guy. So I think those would be uh, what I was thinking of more. I think Pascal could do that again too, being very stoic. I just, I think the my, my criticism is of both of our characters, where they just they don't have that really intense, you know, thing about them. Yeah, Pacino's a rare breed. It's hard to bring the intensity and and kind of like verbal aggressiveness that he brings. I mean, he's he's not really playing Lieutenant Hannah. It's Al Pacino always playing Al Pacino. I mean, just like in any given Sunday, it's hard to uh, I think replicate his energy. Um, almost like with uh, Jack Nicholson, very hard to replicate that energy. Um, but I mean, I think you know we both provided you know good actors. Yours obviously has a a longer resume. He's he's more. Um, acclaimed, um, definitely um, well recognized. Um, Will Smith is and Pedro. I think, I think he has you know a, a good career ahead of him. I think being under that Disney umbrella with Mandalorian will really help him. Um, and, and there's a new season coming up where it's, it's it, hopefully it's not going to feature Baby Yoda as much. So hopefully we'll see um, way more uh, character development from from his character. Um, and uh, you know, again in, in Game of Thrones, I thought he was a bit of a, a cocky, wild badass, uh, but. Uh, I really enjoy our cast all together, and I think this is one of our, our better ones that we put together, um, and it was a great movie to watch. I know you said it was a bit of a slog um, in terms of how long it was, 
Um, but, uh, you know, Michael Mann, when he gets to, to, to listen to our episode fully, uh, maybe he'll consider some of those things as he continues to work on projects. For sure. Now, how about any almost recast? I only had one almost recast. I didn't know if you had any. Yeah, just a couple for uh, the top three. Um, for my Pacino, I thought maybe uh, Clive Owen. Uh, for my De Niro, I thought, you know, Bradley Cooper, uh, you know, head to head with Clive Owen. And then uh, not sure how you f- how familiar you are with uh, Jared Padalecki, um, but I liked him as my potential uh, recasting for uh, Val Kilmer's role. But those were really the only top three that I had done. Uh, yeah, the only one I had actually was for my lowest role, which was Wingro. And I had thought about and I thought long and hard about but decided not to go with Bradley Cooper for for Wingro. Because I was like, ah, I don't know if I could spend $25 million for that role. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I really had. Uh, I, I would say, obviously, everybody tuned in. I really appreciate it. We definitely love that you guys listen. Make sure you vote either after the episode, before the episode. doesn't really matter. But obviously, get on Twitter. Get on Facebook. There's lots of different ways you can vote. Join All Things Movies. Let us know. We tally it up. And obviously, if you're interactive with us, I mean, do more than vote. Tell us what you think of these picks. We'll give you a special shout-out. Yeah, you can definitely have the opportunity to get shouted out on our episode if you want to leave us some type of uh, verbal criticism or compliments. Um, I know who you'd be complimenting, but um, if you want to leave us any of that so that way we can feature it on our episode and you can also get, you know, your uh, chance to, you know, shout out your show and who you are, we always welcome that opportunity. Um, And again, All Things Movies on Facebook is a great platform that we encourage everybody to use. That way we can get more involvement and more opinions on there. We love to see everybody get involved and post things. Uh, As far as the graphics, Wayne always does an awesome job. I know he just has to touch up this one a little bit, um, but he's going to post that after the episode. And I know he, he does a great job of you know, putting very, very great pictures along there and making it easier for those of you that, you know, maybe can't make it through the full episode or, you know, you do want to uh, compliment the full episode that you listen to with the graphic. And so hopefully you, you stay tuned for that online. And again, I'd like to, uh, you know, thank Wayne for all he does and thank you fans for listening. This is always a, a fun outlet for him and I to do every couple of weeks. Yeah, tons of fun. And again, make sure, obviously, this is the end of the episode. So if you listen to it on Good Pods, right on mate good for you and then if you didn't make sure you listen to the next one on good pods and then go through good pods and just give us five stars for every single episode it does help the algorithm and it helps us get back up to number one yeah and uh, just lastly uh we do uh need another movie to recast folks uh so this one has been done we'll get votes going in on this one but we do capitalize on uh, any of our fans and listeners that request us to do movies this again was a request from our friend john vincent um, and if anybody wants us to do a movie, uh, shout us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and let us know what you'd like to see us do. Make sure you look at our catalog to know what we've done so far. Um, but we're looking forward to doing uh, many new movies going forward. Absolutely. And please try to keep it under seven and a half hours. I can't deal with any more of these epic films. <laughs> so The Godfather is out. Oh, no, we're not doing The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. Uh, Again, thanks, everybody. And uh, I guess as Porky says, that's all, folks. That's all, folks.